0: Welcome to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Rogers. When we read the scriptures, we find that the people of God often have a great affinity for a city. Nehemiah wept over Jerusalem, and uh, interestingly enough, Jesus also wept over Jerusalem. And uh, in the Great Commission, it tells us to, uh, to go into all the world, starting with Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, wherever you live, that's your Jerusalem. And Jesus loves your city. Jesus is deeply concerned for where you live and the people that are there. And uh, so today, um, we are going to uh, do an exploration on one of my favorite cities in the whole wide world, and that is Montreal. And uh, so I've got some friends on here today uh, from Montreal. And, uh, I'm going to, uh, ask, uh, uh each of them to, uh, a- answer three questions. What's your name? Where was the last place you lived before Montreal? And how are you spending your days following Jesus in Montreal? So, um, let's, uh, let's start with, uh, let's start with you, Patty, and then, uh, Cal and Chrissy and Jenna.
1: Sure. Uh, My name is Patty Miller. And the last place I lived before Montreal was Hamilton, Ontario. Lived there for 16 years. And how are my days spent here following Jesus? Um, I'm the lead pastor of a church downtown, Evangel Church. And uh, so my days are spent pastoring. A lot of that involves uh, study and teaching and also vision and managing a staff. But my days are also spent. Uh, with my neighbors that are in my condo building and hanging out with them and uh, building relationships with them.
0: All right, over to, to the Krons. <laughs> All right, uh, I'm Cal.
2: I'm Chrissy. <laughs> and uh, we have been living in Montreal since just before COVID hit. And so the last place that we were living before Montreal was in B.C., so we have, this This is our second time living in Montreal. We've returned uh, because we love it so much. So how do we spend the well, bulk of our days?
3: Well, we start at uh, three o'clock in the morning and we <laughs> spend 12 hours of prayer before we start our day. <laughs> no, of course not. Oh,
1: uh, me too, I forgot to say that. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so, no,
2: we are, we are heavily involved with a food bank called Innovation Assistance Downtown in, in uh, downtown Montreal. Uh, That's where you would spend a lot of your time working with the people that come in there. And I am also involved with a new ministry that started during COVID called Appui de Point, which is the French version of Leading Influence, a prayer ministry, a prayer chaplaincy ministry for our politicians, which is actually all across Canada.
3: Yeah. And we also do uh, mentoring of young young adults and uh, doing really kind of moving eventually into more of a chaplaincy role as well in the downtown area.
0: Yeah, and Cal and Chrissy, you are uh, with Mission Canada, of course, and uh, uh, Tim Schindel, the uh, Director for Leading Influence, has been a guest on our podcast, yeah. and uh, we had a, a fascinating discussion uh, that uh, came out just before the last election cycle. So, um, And now, Jenna, let's tell us about yourself, Jenna. Yeah, uh,
4: my name is Jenna Smith um i have never lived anywhere else than montreal so i was uh anglophone babies are usually born at the jewish general so that's where i was born and then francophone babies are born at St. justin and that's my childhood lore <laughs> um and uh i spend my days working uh under my uh, mission which is christian direction um i was for 15 years the director of one of its Gra- grassroots ministries downtown housed at Evangel, uh, Innovation Youth, and then we also started Innovation Assistance, which is the food bank that Cal and Chrissy were talking about. And I have recently moved into a more regional role um, called Engagement and Outreach. So working on large school projects, um, equipping churches to become more active in their neighborhoods. Um, and Christian Direction is um, also a ministry that was born in Quebec by Quebecer Christians. Um, some of whom back in 1964, and some of those Christians were actually uh, members of Evangel Pentecostal, um, who said they needed, they needed a homebred ministry that would minister to their own province and city. So,
0: so Jenna, you've uh, lived all your life in Montreal, and uh, what is it that, uh, that keeps you in your city? Uh, you know, I'm sure you've traveled a little bit and visited other places, but uh, what, what, what do you love?
4: yeah that's that's such a good question so i one of the trips i took at one point i was in a a tech assistant at the um worldwide Lausanne convention in south africa back in i believe it must have been 2013 around that time and someone had been at the breakfast table and someone asked me where i was from and then correctly assumed that i was perfectly bilingual she said, well, if you have French, you really need to get yourself over to Senegal, um, French-speaking Africa, because they are just, you know, desperate. And I just looked at her, this blank-faced expression. I was like, why on earth would I go to Africa? I'm really happy ministering in Montreal. So, um, so yeah, uh, why do I stay in Montreal? I, this, this is my home. Um and, but I also uh, came to faith in, the, in, a, in a Christian family, in a family of ministers, um, and had a, a strong sense of the fact that I could easily continue to live my life as a Montrealer, but also engage in God's mission in this city, which is incredibly unique. Having traveled, I can say that. Um, so this is, yeah, it's, it's to me, this is, a, this is a story of love that I have for the place that I was born mm-hmm. into.
0: And, and how about uh, you other immigrants to the city? What do you love about Montreal?
2: I mean, what is there not to love about Montreal?
4: <laughs> uh, the weather, exactly. the goggles, the traffic. Like, come on, Chrissy. <laughs> okay. I
2: happen to love snow, so I'm okay with snow. Um, but no, I, for me personally, I have had a love of French culture and French language my whole life. So it felt like a very natural progression for us. And like I said, this is our second time here. Uh, We were here in 2003 until 2008. Um, We also came as missionaries at that time under another organization. Also during that time, Cal ended up being on, or actually we both were on staff at Evangel Church. So we have this weird connection that kind of keeps happening there with with Evangel. Um, but no, I, the cultural diversity here is, is unbelievable. And that is de- a definite draw for us. We love that diversity.
3: Yeah, that, the multiculturalism would be my favorite part of the city of Montreal. Uh, just all the world, uh, just all around you, everywhere. It's, it's just quite, it's quite a very cool concept. I would also say just the way of life here. You know, there's the, the old saying, uh, la joie de vivre. Um, joy of life that people have here. Um, I just find it very uh, refreshing and enjoyable. Um, And like Chrissy said, we lived here once before. And so we've always had this heart for uh, Quebec and this part of the world and uh, really are thrilled to be back. No better place to be than where God wants you to be, right? right?
0: That's right. So a lot of uh, a lot of uh, overlaps, and uh, it seems like Evangel might be the center of Montreal. (laughs) Uh, And uh, so, uh, Patty, you're the pastor there. Um, Talk for anybody that's listening that's never been to Montreal and/or never been to Evangel Church. uh, Tell us about that.
1: Um, Our church is uh, 105 years old. We actually. Predate our our fellowship, Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. My understanding is we were the first um, evangelical Pentecostal anglophone church planted east of Ottawa. Uh, we were planted by somebody named Charles Baker, more affectionately known as Daddy Baker, who um, just decided he just felt called by God. I got to plant a church here, and so so he did. Started a church, and uh, there's all kinds. of The history is just sometimes overwhelming for the person that's the current pastor. The history is just huge. Amy Semple McPherson came through this church at one point and, uh, which is pretty huge for me. I, I I admire her greatly. And, um, the church now, so the church has been downtown in various places in downtown for the, uh, that entire time. And, uh, we are committed to the city, the downtown of the, of the city. And, um, yeah i mean it's we've had so many people come and go and i've had to get used to since being here that everywhere i go if i go somewhere else in canada if i go sometimes other places in the world it's a given somebody's going to come up to me and tell me they have some connection with evangel their grandparent was there or they they were on staff there or they accepted christ there and it's just wild the influence of this church is just just beyond measure
0: it's it's amazing to see that kind of history unfold, you know, over uh, certainly our lifetimes and and lives before us. And uh, it seems like there are um, strategic places that God just deposits something that uh, is is going to bear fruit for an awful long time. And uh, and uh, and you moved to to Montreal not that long before COVID, did you?
1: Uh, we moved here just over six years ago. So we were here for a few years before okay. COVID hit. Yeah. So uh, we got to taste, we got a good taste of the city before the pandemic, oh, you good. know, shut it down.
0: <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> um, you know, uh, obviously Evangel's not the, uh, the only church in the city, uh, but uh, all of you are involved in ministry work in the city core and uh what can you tell me about um the unity of the church in montreal uh do um people fellowship across across the aisle from church to church to churches tend to to silo um is there a barrier between uh language churches and uh, just tell me what what your observations are about uh the um the unity and the uh the sense of collaboration and working together is that there in montreal
1: um i'll answer i i i think it is i'm I'm a little bit processing the question yeah I, i think we have good unity and good friendship i don't know if we have a lot of at least in the anglophone churches i can only speak for anglophone um uh I don't think we have a lot of formal collaboration. We don't do a lot of, some do on the West Island and that. Um, but I find the friendships are easily built if you want to. And so uh, I have quite a number of pastors that I can go for coffee with any denomination whenever I want. And we we honor each other and we support each other. We talk about each other from the platform and just just honor the work that God is doing through all of us. It was one of the things that I learned when I came here. I was actually surprised by how warmly I was welcomed by different Christian leaders from different um, denominations. And finally one of them said to me, well, there's not that many of us here. And so we stick together. And uh, that was a really cool thing.
3: Mm. Yeah, I, my, my immediate thought is, it's like anywhere. like you're gonna have some churches that collaborate really well together and others that maybe silo a little bit more. But one of the cool things that I've seen, at least in the downtown area, there's a thing called youth church in which a bunch of church youth groups get together on a regular basis. I think it's once a month. And uh, in fact, I think today or tomorrow, they're going to be cooking up a meal for one of the homeless centers together. So, so there's some great things. And then again, being a part of a food bank, we have connections with a bunch of churches as well. So.
0: So de- describe for me the, the city. I know that, that uh, Montreal city limits, uh, Montreal is on the Island, uh, but then uh, there are surrounding uh, communities. Um, is there a very distinctive island identity for Montrealers, or is it just all kind of blur and blend across the bridges?
4: It's, yeah, it's definitely an island feel. The greater Montreal area is very neighborhood centric. Every neighborhood has its very distinct identity, um, language, uh, (laughs) patriotism. Uh, so in that sense, Montreal's done a really good job in the last 20 years of giving, um, like having a mosaic of distinct neighborhoods with each their own sort of like culture and um, business feel and urban landscape. Um, in a, but in another sense, the, the, the dynamics within the province of Quebec is that there's been a real disconnect recently felt in between rural and urban um lines and truly in a recent conversation with a, a, a pastor who's recently moved here um she was sort of just asking me about different things trying checking out her intuition with me as to and she said I don't sense that the French English divide is as big as we think it was I think it's the urban rural and I was like that's exactly where I think we're headed um is that we will some people will sadly come to the conclusion that the divide is no longer English and French, <laughs> and yeah. But yeah, they have to recognize that the divide is actually rural and urban, and that's going to have a real impact on some de- major decisions made in the province of Quebec.
0: Well, well, I think uh, you know, in, in looking across Canada, there are some big cities that very much have a, a regional identity uh, or a provincial identity. Uh, then there are some that uh, are, have a national identity. Uh, and then there are some that have a global identity. And I think Montreal fits into the latter. It's, it's a world-class city. Uh, it is, is so connected to, to the rest of the globe.
4: The, the fringe question as to whether or not Montreal should be a city-state rears its head every 20 to 25 years. The last time it happened was at the referendum of 95. Montreal was like, we should just be a city-state. You know, like the, yeah. the separatism obviously is being decided by this city to the, you know, to the dismay of the rest of the province. So let's just be a city-state. He went away but last election patty do you remember that it was one of the candidates yes. on his platform i was like where did this come from but again yeah. like, i don't i well never say never i don't think it's a real thing but i think you're right um kevin in terms of like the montreal is a global city
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. well i i put in a motion that uh jenna smith uh, be the mayor of the new city <laughs> state and uh, do i have a seconder
4: oh Second, third, all of it.
0: Yeah. All in favor. It's carried. All right. <laughs> like nice sit, that we...
4: Stand behind me, Satan. <laughs> 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 you
0: don't
4: know, tempt me with this earthly glory. <laughs>
0: the Lord's
2: mysterious ways.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, when we, we look at cities, um, a, a community has some core values to it that set it apart from other cities, other places. And and certainly there's, uh, I mean, suburbia and big box stores and franchises, they unify cities all over the world, right? Uh, But but when you get to the heart of a city, uh, there's often um, values that uh, supersede and, and uh, characterize uh, the, the people that live there, the way that, uh, they, that the city views itself, uh, the way that people participate in civic life. Um, and, and I think that, um, you know, if you were to go to Ottawa, um, you would say, well, one of the key values about Ottawa is, is gov- government structure. And uh, that, that filters down to probably every aspect of life in Ottawa um, is uh, the, that governmental uh, mindset and uh, way of looking at the world and way of uh, uh, carrying out things. Um, if you uh, go to downtown Calgary, um, you might say that uh, the oil industry holds a certain mastery over Calgary and Edmonton, you know, the Calgary is a boom city or, or bust depending on what's happening in the oil industry. And, uh, and, and it also Calgary has a very frontier, um, independence to it. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, you could even say that, uh, like if you look at, uh, in Revelation, when we look at the seven churches of Asia Minor, that um, there's actually um, these values are so entrenched into location uh, sometimes that it affects uh, the worship of that people engage in what what influences them. So um, if if there are idols or strongholds over a city. Um, that that can there can be uh, tremendous strength from the values, but there can also be um, an excessiveness about it that uh, that kind of blinds people to um, uh, other values. So talk about Montreal. What what what's the spirit of Montreal or spirits? Uh, and and I I'm I'm not uh, uh, necessarily going all Peter Wagner on that. Uh, but just in terms of your observations, what is it about uh, life in Montreal that is uh, really uh, flown high, uh, you know, and said, this is what we are about. This is what's really important to us. Jenna, you're the resident.
4: Why
3: don't you start us off?
4: I'm processing, I'm processing. Um, So I think this is a city... Um, that has, that has valued, especially since the quiet revolution in the sixties, um, an immense amount of creativity, ingenuity, um, and has, uh, celebrated a sort of deep rooted belief, um, that there can be better. Uh, for even the most vulnerable. So you have an entire population that were, uh, for the majority, undereducated, um, employed in really low paying jobs in which the rich and powerful were of one socioeconomic linguistic. Class and all of the workers, the suffering workers, were of another socio-economic linguistic class. That it was completely turned on its head. It happened within one generation. So that, like, you don't live through something like that in a city, um, without that having a major stronghold on your belief system. Within within ten years, they had the World Expo and then the Olympics, and this was in a city that was farmland and just like port, port city, real you know, blue-collar coal industrial um, city. And then they went on to placing themselves within 10 years on the global map in terms of its center for art, industry, innovation. Um, and so with that came, you know, that spirit of of we can just like roll this upwards and outwards. It's, I'd say that Montreal is very mobilized, like the, in terms of civic engagement. Uh, we have a neighborhood here, Hosemont, and apparently I can't remember what year this was, but McLean's had said that it was the most mobilized neighborhood in Montreal. i you know, just an example of this. I walked into a cafe once um, in that neighborhood, got myself a coffee, used the washroom, on the wall of the washroom on a paper towel written in marker was, and just taped. I mean, it looked so ghetto. And it was like, a, you know, gathering march against, you know, I can't remember what the cause was, was probably the student fee levies at the time. Sat Next Saturday, 3 p.m., like 2,000 people showed up, you know, <laughs> you, you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that, yeah. That would be, I'd say, sort of the, the uh, sort of like the more um, humanistic belief system and, and, and values. What we see in terms of, like, if I can use the word darkness, um, what we also see is just, again, the siloing of people. So with great diversity also comes, I think, great siloing, and we still see that. Um, and it comes, you know, theologically, I think it comes from this, this notion of scarcity, this like fear of scarcity. There will not be enough. There will Mm -hmm. not be enough. And you see it in the churches, you see it. I think you see it a lot in, um, the Francophone Protestant churches because they were burst out of an exodus from the Catholic churches. And there's still this real disconnect,
0: Mm -hmm. um,
4: this divide and this fear. Um, and, you know, coming from a, you know, you have a subculture, of Christianity that feels its smallness. And so then what they do is they turn on each other. And so that's sort of like the flip side of that belief system of of change and revolution comes also then this fear and and divisiveness um, Mm. that that is birthed from that fear. Yeah, just Uh,
3: to Oh, you go ahead first, Patty.
1: Okay. I have the weird sun just streaming in now, so it's this aura that I can't get rid of. Um, it's very angelic. Yeah. Um, Glory, hallelujah. I, <sighs> I would agree with. Uh, I mean, a lot, Jenna. Lots of what you said is so informative for me, and I just am listening, going, oh, okay, yeah, I see that." Uh, as a am more of a newcomer, I would I would build on the last bit even of what of what you said that. Um I think the the diversity and the multiple cultures and that we can do anything, all of that it's what makes Montreal so amazing it's it's and it's highly valued um just there's room for all of us I find and and all of that kind of thing i but 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 there's still the lingering um fear, if I could say lingering yeah fear of of religion and um that is that is very clear for a, for a girl who came from Ontario, it is a different world. And um, there is a lingering active fear that gets triggered that um, that religion is going to try to control again. Um, And, um, and so there's, and, and that then has led to an absolute like lack of knowledge completely about what Christianity is or what faith is. So it's not just, in my experience, a lot of my experience in Ontario was people sort of knew it, but they were just bored of it. Here, people literally, they don't know what it is. They don't know what Christianity is. They don't, and, and that's just a, a bit bizarre and also are quite hesitant to, they're either really uh, entranced, like, ooh, what's that? Or uh, quite hesitant to have a conversation um, because they, their only experience is um, oppression through religion and they threw that off and they're not letting it back.
4: And they're going to pretend it doesn't exist. That's the public discourse. We pretend right. it doesn't exist.
1: Yeah. And, and
2: I would say that that extends not only to the the Quebecois who live here in Montreal, but also to a lot of the immigrants that come here as well, because a lot of them are coming out of religiously oppressed countries. And so there's almost like we don't have time for that or we, we are physically or emotionally mentally kind of pushing against the door of religion any kind of organized religion sometimes because of that as well so yeah i would extend it even that
3: there's so much to this like uh montreal is very distinct as far as i'm concerned from any city i've been in like a lot of people will will you know say oh quebec montreal they're all the same no they're not montreal is very different than the rest of quebec Uh, it's its own, it's its own entity, (laughs) city, state. Yeah. Um, so with that, I think, yeah, I think, yeah, I'm in total agreement with everything that's been said, like there's a fear, uh, and distrust of religious power. And so what, so the, the negative side, uh, you know, which can be a positive if there is untrustworthiness, but the negative side is there's a strong push to secularism, um, which I would call the religion of secularism um, yeah, that we see pushed here as well. Um,
2: it's like the pendulum has has shifted yep. from one side so, to the other.
4: So, I mean, so Desmond Tutu <laughs> passed away recently on our French CBC, so Radio Canada. They have one of the experts of South Africa interviewed talking about Desmond Tutu. And she says, I was, my husband and I just about, Flipped a switch. She said, Well, you know, at one point you can hear in his discourses where he says everything he did was out of it it flowed out of his belief in Jesus. Because goes, she goes, That is not the important thing, and that's just an extra. You have to remember it was a human endeavor to liberate humans. And we just and he was a bishop. And we're like, mm-hmm. it was he just demonstrated such willful ignorance. Mm -hmm. over the co the the cohabitation of spiritual belief and your action
1: even along those lines jenna i would add to that you know we've talked about this so we're we're a large church in downtown before the pandemic you know 800 to a thousand people we've had our sidewalks dug up by the city and left for a weekend so you literally would not be able to get in or out of the building because it doesn't occur to them that we're there and um even during the pandemic uh we've we've hosted multiple things. And there was one day where we hosted um, vaccination clinic and help and all that for the people in the neighborhood. We hosted it on behalf of another organization. Uh, TV cameras were there, CBC, CTV, all of it. And they all, uh, I can only assume intentionally, took video footage that ensured that our church name never was seen. And so our church people were watching on TV going, hey, that's our church lobby. But never once was it said a church hosted it. Um, in fact, the address they gave was the address next door, not even our address. And it was really, really just hidden that a church was helping with this endeavor. It's just, we don't exist.
0: (laughs) That can actually be a a stealth advantage when people don't know. Uh, and then when they do discover you, uh, it's like this hidden world that amazes them. Um, so when, when you, um, yeah, that, that's interesting about uh, uh, Radio Canada and, uh, you know, the, the, that whole, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we don't want to, to tell your story. We want to tell the cultural narrative. And um, I'm just curious as, uh, you know, the, the last uh, two-year apocalypse that we've all lived through, Um, you know, apocalypse is a word that means unveiling and, uh, through the, uh, the pandemic, uh, restrictions and shutdowns, um, you know, that, that has a, an effect on everybody in the world in different ways. But I think one thing that it really does is whatever is in the heart of a person, um, the, the, the pressures and, uh, the uniqueness of it brought what's in the heart out it unveiled it so that we could see what was in in the heart of people in our city but also uh people in our church uh, people in our family and uh, so i'm just curious that um you know when you think back to um these past two years how did it affect you personally um are you stressed out or are you feeling energized uh what have you had to rethink in your mission and your relationship to the world around you as a result of this unveiling that's taking place and still not over i mean we're recording in early march um this this will come out a little later in the year but uh, be interesting to 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 see what what's 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 been happening to you personally over the last couple of years And there's crickets. <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh, I I I I hesitate a little bit because I've had a great two years, to be honest. Um, yes, it's been hard, obviously, with when you're de- dealing with uh, pandemic restrictions and all that. But I've just seen incredible opportunities through this pandemic, which has blown me away. I couldn't have made them. I think God ordained mm-hmm. so many things that. I am just feeling so privileged that that I get to be a part of it. So I feel somewhat quite energized by this whole uh, time. And I think it's been a great, for me, again, a good reminder that uh, as the church general, we need to be in the community. And the connections within the community, um, if we are willing to serve serve the community, the, the opportunities are there. And so for me, it's been a it's been a really a good, a, a great two years. And again, I say that little, little awkwardly because for some people it's been very very hard. And so just for me, I feel very blessed where what's happened for in my life in the last two years.
0: Chrissy must be taking really good care of you these last couple of years.
2: <laughs> I think I think for us covid was it definitely was a blessing in disguise and and i won't i won't lie and say that there were not days where i just i woke up crying um, because i thought if i have to spend another day at home i'm going to i am i don't know i don't know what i'm going to do <laughs> but, but um it, like when we when we came here almost 3 years ago now <clears throat> our intention was to take schooling for a year to take french language lessons <clears throat> and that was that was kind of the extent as to that's what we foresaw. We didn't know what it was going to look like after that. It was, let's learn the, the heart language of people. Let's get tooled up for that. And then whoever God puts in our path, that's, that's what we're going to do. So COVID was unexpected. Thanks to Jenna's quick thinking and, and just the, the leading of the Holy Spirit that uh, Innovation Assistance began that opened up a whole new door into the community that we never could have even possibly dreamed of. So that's, that's why I say, yeah, like it really has been a blessing.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say, um, you know, there's a whole mixed bag of what the experience has been. I mean, we, we immediately at our church and me personally, uh, we just live by the understanding God's not surprised. So therefore he's still here. Let's just figure out where that is and lean in. And so we framed it from the beginning that way. And so um, I don't think we missed a beat really in just carrying forward in our, in our usual vision. Are um, we taught our, are we frame our, what we do as we do good, love, love each other and reveal Jesus Well, you could still do good and you could still love people in a pandemic. So that's what we did. Um, there were moments, uh, you know, for me as a pastor, moments of discouragement of realizing not every Christian has the same thing, uh, same uh, foundations or whatever for their faith that uh, I do or that I thought they did. And that's that's hard. Um, but uh, but uh, the new people that came in and all of that was encouraging. And so we just kept on going. Um, what Chrissy just said, this has become the best way for us to be known in the neighborhood. Uh, The the food bank, everybody knows about it now. And um, uh, Innovation Youth, I think you guys moved in during the pandemic, or maybe just before, and into our space. And now I have invitations and connections with with community leaders um, that I never had before the pandemic. And it's because we could sort of work through third parties that were using our space, and just say, you can use our space for whatever you need. And that just really increased our um, ability to work with city officials and with community organizers. And so uh, we have been told now how visible we are when I don't think we were visible two years ago. And it's because uh, we've worked really hard to serve our community, whether in our name or in somebody else's name, which we often do, we serve through others. Um, but it has really improved our reputation. And so, so that's been a good thing. And I would just say at the end, just to make it not, you know, all sunshine and roses, frankly, I also hit a wall of exhaustion in December and went to halftime in January. Cause I just was so tired from all of the pivoting, but overall, um, it's, it's God has been present and God has been faithful. And of course that is true. Why wouldn't that have been true?
4: Yeah, I, I would say, um, the, there's been a real um, reflection around vocation, um, not just for me, but just for in the ministries that I've been involved with. And so, yeah, I, I would say that um, being able to open up a food bank the way that we did in the space of Evangel and working with Cal and Chrissy has been just one of the joys of my life. Um, that, that was just one of the, the biggest honors that I've ever been able, um, that has ever been given to me. Uh, so we really saw, and I would say as a ministry that was not um, explicitly uh, Christian, like we are a Christian ministry, but we were sort of a bridge between church and community. COVID actually allowed us to become more explicit um, in our Christian presence. And so it's been a very like mutually beneficial relationship between Evangel and the grassroots ministries that are housed there. Like we were able to become more explicitly Christian. Christian, and I think Evangel is able to get a bigger bridge into the community. So that has all been incredibly joyful. Um, What has been difficult has definitely uh, uh, been with our frontline workers who who reached a point of exhaustion. So we've had some turnover, and that's been true, I'm told, across Canada. Um, uh, And there's been, I think, also the, the existential crisis in which the church, capital C, has been thrown into I have definitely seen across Montreal, across Quebec. Um, There's been moments where I've been discouraged with that, where I just think, I thought we were further ahead on Mm -hmm. this. And um, apparently we are not. And so, you know, I'm not shy about saying what happened at Evangel with PAOC workers at the food bank with how engaged Christians with our partner churches downtown. That is, uh, uh, I'm really using that as a supremely unique example something that I think uh, doesn't need to be uh, completely copied but it can be modeled and I, I really I'm, I'm really very proud of it uh, to show you know this was this was Christ's body at work
3: so, I, I just I, want I, yeah, go ahead can I add real quickly uh, I I've, I've we've had the opportunity to work underneath both of these two leaders and they have done a fantastic job uh, i really appreciate them count them both as as good friends um I, my hand. We, we've had you know to be honest uh, we've had the benefit of having leaders to who really had to think through and process and and deal with all the hard stuff behind the scenes that we've been able to just you know be blessed to do what we do so
2: uh and, ha- and have been afraid to try yeah so thank you ladies for at least stepping forward and trying
0: things. Well, I, th- as I've listened to the church across Canada, um, there, there is uh, a lot of wins in the last two years. Uh, you know, we haven't been able to um, live by the same metrics that we always did for decades prior, you know, and it, it, the, all of the, the, um, reorganization and, and pivoting and, and limits being honest and all of that. I, I think it, what it's done is, is it's, it's taken the people of God to a deeper place, uh, a deeper place where they, they serve out of a pure heartedness and, uh, and, and understanding that, uh, you know, there's, um, uh, I think we're more in touch with, with the need in our world uh, maybe even than before, you know, and uh, uh, that's just something I'm hearing from coast to coast in, in a lot of cities is that uh, this has been a, um, this has been a a good therapeutic time for the body of Christ uh, really getting, getting deeper into the heart of Jesus um, and speaking of that, um, I mean, the heart of Jesus, uh, tell me about the people that uh, you personally feel uh, motivated towards the people that you have the greatest burden for in your city. Um, you know, I mean, uh, I think we, we all uh, would say that we uh, are doing our best to love our neighbors ourself, but sometimes God will highlight, um, a particular population or, or a particular neighborhood or, uh, uh, a particular demographic, you know, who are the people that you really feel, um, this, uh, this drive, this holy drive about Patty has to I have that for everybody. Don't you?
1: <laughs> yeah. I am like, I, I didn't know I was allowed to choose. <laughs> <laughs> We, um, we have several, I have several that I, I mean, obviously Anglophones in, in Montreal, that's, we're an Anglo church. The newcomers to Canada, it's a huge segment of our, of our church and a huge segment of our census tract, uh, where our church is located. And so um, just caring for people and reaching people that are, that are dealing with the incredible complexities and challenges of immigration, whatever version of immigration they're coming through, um, has just grown in um, in the burden that I feel for that and trying to help, how do we help uh, serve them in a way, in a good way? Um, and then the third, I would just say as well, um, students. So Montreal has, uh, my understanding is Montreal has the largest or second largest student population in North America of cities. We, we go back and forth with Boston is what I was told when I came here. And um, of course, pandemic, I don't know, but that was pre-pandemic. But we have, you know, McGill University, Concordia University, several uh, Sejep colleges are all within walking distance of our church building. And they come from all around the world. And so so to to be able to serve students, and we do that, I mean, we do that a little bit through our church, we do. But we also support campus ministries that people in our church are involved in, because these are going to be the world's future leaders, like, around the globe. And if we can bless them and minister to them and help to disciple them and serve them while they are here, uh, frankly, it doesn't really benefit us much. It just costs us money, but hopefully, hopefully it helps to make a difference in discipleship in world leaders of the future. So to me, that's a big, um, that's a big area that I care about.
3: Yeah, we'd we'd be very much in line. Uh, Immigrants have been huge.
2: Um, I think it's opened our eyes to having so much contact now with so many immigrants. The It's opened our eyes to how difficult it can be to go through the process mm-hmm. of moving to Canada, which is something that we've obviously taken for granted because we're Canadian citizens. So learning how it can be difficult and how it's changing their lives. Um, and so just helping them walk through some of those steps too.
3: And just even just building friendships, it's just been very, very cool. Um, you know, again, people from around the world, but we would have a large Persian uh, group of people that use the food bank. A large, large group of uh, Indian, uh, especially students, mm-hmm. that come in. So we definitely have an affinity for them. Uh, young people have always been something that I've had a great affinity for. And uh, even last night, I was out for dinner with one young Indian student who, uh, who is also a volunteer at the food bank, and uh, yeah. So those would be some of the ones that we just love, but yeah. I kind of, we, as Chrissy had said earlier, we, we kind of view it as whoever God kind of puts in our path. That's, that's who he's calling us to at the moment. Yeah. So
2: and I think too, like we haven't been able to have a lot of people in our home during COVID uh, with the restrictions, but those that we have been able to have, almost all of them are contacts that we've made through the food bank. Yeah.
4: I think I will just always, especially being an urban dweller, um, just always look as to who the most vulnerable are. And those are, that's where I just feel the missional pull. And that's what I'm um, sort of in my vocation looking to uh, draw the church's eyes to. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. So um, I had uh, Gary. Connors uh, on uh, a previous uh, episode of of the podcast, and uh, and of course he was uh, bragging up Evangel as well, you know, and uh, <laughs> um, and and one of the things that he talked about was um, uh, around the corner from the the church building proper, there's a storefront that used to be a Saint Hubert Chicken. And uh, many years ago, the church had bought in that, and, and it became kind of a a place for community interface. Uh, it's it's right on Route Saint Catherine, and and it's uh, just very uh, street street level, street friendly. And uh, you've done a lot of great things out of that space. But then he was telling me that uh, that place is going to be demolished, and uh, a 14 story is going up in its place. So uh, tell me what, what's going on there and what what that's all about.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's an ongoing thing. Speaking of COVID delaying things, uh, <laughs> we just keep on going, maybe next week, maybe next week, but we're really uh, working through this uh, development project where, so the building has served us so well over the years um, and, and just hosted so many outreach opportunities, so many Blessing the community opportunities, just everything. It's been so good. It's also aging is the, uh, is the truth and uh, ends up just starting to cost you more and more uh, in maintenance and um, property values shift and et cetera. And um, there's a real need for housing in downtown Montreal, I think across Montreal, but um, housing that is affordable. So around us, um, since I've moved here just over six years ago, we had a new uh, condo tower go up to the right of the building another one go up to the left of the building and is it five or six right across the street from the church six six condo towers have gone up and they all are super expensive they're 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 not affordable um, and this is what is being built in the downtown and so anyone trying to find rental space that that they can afford and that families can live in and all of that there's just nothing and so we wanted to do something that would help to You know, help us to function well with the property that we had, steward it well with uh, the investment that had been made in it, recognizing something had to be done with it, and going, is there something we can do with this project that will both serve our community and bless our community, and also um, be good for Evangel in the long term, and help us to create maybe a little bit of sustainable income, just a little, to help us out as we keep on going. And so, yeah. So the plans are in place. We keep, you know, it's, it's slow. Everybody tells you at the beginning, Oh, it'll be, you know, no time at all. And then it's just, but it's uh, but the plans are still there and we're still moving forward where we will take it down. And um, we're, yeah, we're building a 14 story building that uh, will also house our offices. Um, it will have um, some of the housing, some of the rentals that are there will be below, slightly below market value so that it's affordable for people. Uh, and then the rest will be at market value, you know, whatever we can do so that we can cover our expenses. And honestly, um, we are intentional about keeping our church offices in there and maybe a small hall in there and hoping we can get a few evangel people in there so that it becomes also a place of ministry where people can practice hospitality and learn how to pastor their building. But we're also serving the community as well by providing something that is desperately lacking in downtown Montreal. Mm-hmm.
0: Um I, I don't want to um, uh, think uh, negatively, but um, if, if and, and I recognize that, that nobody on here is, has a business card that says that you're a prophet that foretells the future. Uh, but are there some things that you're concerned about for the future of Quebec? the future of, uh, Montreal, the future of the church, uh, in Montreal, uh, and the church in, in Quebec. What, what, um, what are some things that, uh, uh, stir you, uh, you know, in, in a, either a, a positive or a negative direction, you know, uh, where you're, you're afraid of what to, co- what's to come, or you're hopeful about what's to come. I think that it can, can be both and at times. So, what 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 what's the view uh, from the island?
1: Um, I'll I'll respond just briefly. Um, Montreal also often has really just close ties, and we're influenced a lot by by uh, things that are happening in the states. And so, I see a lot of the polarization that has happened in the states politically, religiously. Um, also beginning to show here. I don't think it's the majority of people, but it's when it happens, it's very, it's been very, very difficult. And um, I'm concerned about the future of, of God's church and about how do we practice a ministry of reconciliation? How do we talk about unity and diversity? How do we model forgiveness? I think it's gonna be just a huge thing that that the church is gonna have to focus on over the next year or two. Because um, the polarization is running deep and I, I'm concerned that that will get deeper roots in Montreal. I hope it doesn't, but I, mm-hmm. that's what I see.
3: Yeah. So just to add to that, I think the, the thing that, you know, I, obviously I think we've seen it throughout the world that there's been kind of a weeding out process within the church from COVID um, as, as maybe some people who we're kind of cultural Christians have kind of f- faded off. Um, so that's a concern, obviously, because we want people to, to know Jesus. We want people to be in good, good uh, environments. However, maybe this is part of God's way of, of working in people's lives. But my concern would be, just to go with what Patty was saying, is for the leaders. I think leadership, it's really hard for leaders to deal with people who are very polarized and are hard, having a hard time. Uh, Coming together. And so, you know, I I pray for the leaders of the churches to be strong and to be full of the Spirit of God to be able to deal with uh, just the conflicts and the different things that are going to be coming their ways. At the same time, I'm very excited. I have great hope for the church because I think, um, you know, uh, hopefully in most churches, there's been a real uh, sense of God is changing the parameters of what church is. It doesn't, it's, you know, what, what has happened, um, you know, whether you like it or not, really hasn't been overly effective in the Western world for quite a while, I think. And so hopefully God is, gonna, mm-hmm. is, is planning a new thing to happen. And so, and, and again, even the engagement uh, that I've seen different churches engaging in the community because of COVID, I think has been very helpful and healthy as well.
0: I think you hit on a a really key thought there, and we can keep this discussion going, but um, when it comes to leadership, you know, uh, what kind of leaders, uh, be they church leaders or uh, just people who follow Jesus, what kind of leadership do we need to exercise that uh, actually does the ministry of reconciliation, that actually... (laughs) But <laughs> how can we be peacemakers uh, in a world at war with itself? Um, I'd I'd love to get hear some of your thoughts on that, and uh, also as we're we're talking about uh, things in the future that you're hopeful and afraid of.
4: Yeah, to to pick up on what Cal and Patty were saying, so I'd say um, it's it's been hard for leaders, and in Quebec we already did not have many. Um, many leaders. At the same time, we didn't have very many disciples too. And so you would see a lot of, uh, in, in church movements, you'd have a lot of leadership training. Um, and interestingly, not so many resources on discipleship making. Um, and so there was like a, a double-edged sword there. Um, I fear, uh, the rise of nationalist extremism, um, Quebec has not been shielded of that. We had the mosque um, massacre uh, several years ago before COVID, and that was an act of nationalistic extremism. And I fear that that is an ideology that would kidnap theology. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in the world of polarization, I, I would love to see leadership take that very seriously, um, do the granular theological work on it, and do the contextual work on it of how it plays out in Quebec and in Montreal.
1: Yeah, I and I thanks for that, Jenna. And I would add to that, that I think, um, Kevin, you asked how do we model reconciliation and all of that. And um, I think it's an ongoing, uh, I know this is, maybe this just sounds cliche. It doesn't happen in one day. It's an ongoing, we say this over and over again, I mean, this Sunday for us, this coming Sunday, as we're recording, is the first time we're able to open without any restrictions um, in two years. And uh, part of my message will be, not everyone is comfortable here, we've all doubled down on various opinions and thoughts and all of that, and we're going to have to learn how to be in relationship again, and how to give grace to each other. I mean, I think language like that is going to be probably really frequent coming out of my mouth. I think there's also um, a real need, uh, maybe this ties in with what Jenna was saying, a need to um, feel the feelings and allow lament and grief where it needs to happen. Um, And we've done that a few times over the last couple of years. We've done that over um, uh, racism against Black people. We've done that about the Indigenous residential schools. We have stopped as a church and said, let's just talk about, let's talk about the pain that has been here let's talk about let's allow this to happen and for me that's a little bit new uh probably my upbringing includes a lot more just you know victory and joy and just keep pushing through and uh it's been a little bit new to go let's slow down and grieve where we need to grieve because i don't think you can have reconciliation without having grief and you can't you can't have forgiveness without acknowledging that something went wrong in the first place so there's nothing to forgive and so to be able to talk about at times and just give people the freedom to say, I'm hurting over this. My relationships have been strained. These are things I'm going through and then be able to process from there. I think that probably will be a big part of our journey as a church.
3: One of the things I, I kind of try and figure out is the, the sides of empathy and kingdom focus. They're not mutually exclusive, but they can actually have very different ways of, of, uh, of coming out and part of me goes, I'm not sure what, to be honest. I'm not sure what, how do you do that? Good. You have to have good empathy with what people are dealing with right now, but at the same time, you won't want to just focus on this kingdom. We want to want to continue to, you know, help people to focus on the kingdom that we're, that we're, that's coming. And, you know, I guess, I guess I pray for God's wisdom for all of us, <laughs> anybody in leadership to, to know how to, how to walk that wire.
0: Well, I, I have one one last question uh, for the gang here. Um, in Scripture, uh, Jesus says, "Pray to the Lord of the Harvest to send laborers into the field." And um, you know, when when you think about uh, the uh, the need for um, leadership uh, from Christians in Quebec leadership from christians in montreal Uh, some of you have come in to lead uh, though you're not native but uh from among the people that are native to to where you are um what does uh what kind of leader uh do you think we need to to pray for um i mean uh, jesus knows better than we do uh, what kind of leaders are needed but uh, what do you see and and what kind of leaders would you dream about being raised up and uh, reaching Montreal
1: um, for me I would say I mean I, I knew so I'm, I'm trying to answer with humility I think the leaders that we need in Montreal are leaders who are prepared to to be patient and to to stay Uh, when I when I moved here I was shocked at how many times within evangel and outside evangel Christians asked me how long I was going to stay and I thought that was such a weird question and finally somebody said to me people don't pastors don't stay in Montreal Ontario people don't stay and uh, somebody else said to me we don't have we don't have grandfathers in ministry here you know we don't have grandparents they just they just leave and so I think we need leaders that understand it's different here and it's really hard work and it's a different culture. And, and the work has to be done to, to engage that culture with humility and with love and with grace and realize it's not the same as wherever you pastored before or led before. It's just not. Um, and I guess then the last thing I would say is we need leaders who um. I mean, I'm showing my bias in my approach to ministry, Quebec, Montreal, they still remember being oppressed by religion and that's important. And so to me, leaders that will come in and are willing to take the time and do the hard work of just demonstrating that they're not a threat and that the church can be something that is good without being oppressive and without being pushy, uh, you can't just pull a crusade together and bring in a great preacher. And it's just, you know, and so it's, that's what I mean by leaders that have patience and that have humility and are willing to, to do the hard work. I think that's the kind of leaders that we need. Doesn't sound very exciting, but that's what I think.
3: (laughs) Yeah, To me, it comes down to embodying Jesus, you know, engagement, face to face uh, with people. I think, um, you know, I've, I've been in ministry long enough to see a lot of people who talk the theory um, about what it means to love people and love Jesus. And it's, it's a different thing to actually walk with people down their, their paths. Um, and so to me, it's just uh, being able to be authentic and loving and real. And obviously with the call of God, you know, um, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing when, when God leads people in a direction and, and they're, and they're, and they're, they humbly walk that path and engage with people and love on people as best as they can. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a simplest, you know, just go, go the simple, love God, love your neighbor. We're good.
2: <laughs> I think as Patty said too, like not like they, they need to be willing to understand it does take time There's, it, it seems in all the places that we have been, um, it feels like this place, it, it's takes the most time for people to kind of open their hearts towards things of God, not necessarily towards a nice gesture or something like that, but towards things of God. So because there's that, it feels like there's an automatic, Oh, you're from the church. Oh, well, you must be, (laughs) you must be bad. Um, so yeah, so realize that it does take time. Now, one of the things that we have done is we've also taken the time to learn the heart language. I'm not saying everybody does, but that definitely opens a door to um, a- appreciation, an appreciation that you as an Anglophone coming in or, or whatever your, your mother tongue is, that you're taking the time to learn our language.
3: We, we are learning. We haven't learned, we are learning. <laughs>
0: Leaders who learn, not necessarily leaders that know everything. Right. (laughs)
4: I mean, I'm I'm working on some some writing right now around the role of a neighborhood chaplain, and this is something that um, Cal and um, and Patty and I came came up with during some conversations. And I'm I'm dedicating the essay to Chris, uh, Chrissy, and Cal actually because they're really <laughs> the inspiration behind it. So I mean, Cal, you say you know you you don't theorize, you practice, and I'm, I'm like, well, I'm taking your practice and I'm turning it into theory. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that this is. Um, Something that the urban world of Montreal really needs and as I've been reading up on the world of chaplaincy it's really fascinating but it's people who what what comes up over and over and over again, these are people who work in liminal space so like that third space. So the distrust that we've been talking about for the last hour against institutional or organized religion. And which, you know, is still part of my lamentation that we still have these institutional, powerful instances of religion who still are not getting it. Like they're still not sacrificing themselves for mm. their context. Mm. And it's it's just an ongoing, and it's for those um, engaged people within those institutions, they are lamenting too. Um, what we need then are those, are those people who walk the streets. And, um, in those spaces and just like the hospital chaplain who learns the culture the language the um, working environment of a hospital then the neighborhood chaplain does exactly that too they under they they get they become on first name basis with the local business owners and they are attached to local community organizations and they um, make it sort of a way of life to be Jesus um, to their neighbors and I'm I really wonder as, as we have this post-pandemic world, um, Lord willing, it'll be (laughs) post-pandemic, this post-pandemic world where the church is having to redefine what it is, what it means to gather, um, and where we have, again, this this sort of historical distrust of institutionalized faith or institutionalized religion. We need those leaders who are willing to be functioning within the third space. And it's a very, Unglorified role, but it is very incarnational, and I think it's very contextual.
0: Yeah, Jenna, do you think that uh, Jesus' ministry could be characterized in that way that he operated in the liminal space?
4: I'd like to think that Jesus was the ultimate neighborhood chaplain.
0: Yeah, well, this is this has been a a uh, rich conversation, and uh, you know the 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 wealth of this conversation comes from the riches of God that have been placed in each of you, and uh, so I hope to uh, visit uh, Montreal again one of these days, and uh, we'll we'll have to we'll have to look each other up. So au revoir, mes amis. Au revoir. Au revoir. Hey everyone, it's Kevin. Uh, For the next few episodes of Sidewalk Skyline Podcast, uh, we're going to be featuring content from the Our City Toronto uh, conference. Uh, We're loading up the truck right now. I'm going up to Toronto with Kevin Saunders and Bill Riley. And we're going to be recording sessions from the workshop presenters and the main sessions and uh, hopefully uh, you'll get to meet some more intriguing urban workers in, in, in uh, Toronto. Uh, so, um, say hi to Kevin and, and Bill, and
3: uh, hey guys. say hi, Bill. Hello, say hi. Hello, everybody.
0: Until we're back with uh, some content on our next episode from our city, Toronto, this is Kevin Rogers, and you've been listening to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast.